Well, I think it's probably true that most of you, most of us, have people in our lives who are happy that we're Christians. Uh, hopefully there are people in this room who are happy that I'm a Christian. Um, I'm happy if you're a Christian. So we have people that we know who appreciate the fact that we have come to trust in Jesus as our sin bearer, as our savior, that we've come to realize that we can't rescue ourselves, we can't solve all of our own problems, certainly we can't solve our biggest problem, which would be our relationship with God, and so we look to the Lord Jesus Christ to live for us, to pay the penalty for our sins, to be resurrected on our behalf, to be our great high priest. I love the commonality of knowing other Christians and being friends with other Christians and and sharing and rejoicing with the fact that we have a great fellowship. And I'm thankful that other people are glad that I'm a Christian. Hopefully you are as well. But the same thing would also be true. All of us have people in our lives who don't appreciate the fact that we're Christians. And if you've not experienced that yet, you probably haven't been a, a Christian very long or you don't get out much. There are people who would much prefer that we're, we were not Christians, that we didn't look to the Lord Jesus Christ alone as our Savior, that we did, didn't, that we don't seek to follow Him, uh, that we don't want to live for His honor and glory, that we don't think that everything He said is right and good. There are also those kinds of people. Some of those people are in our families. Some of those people say things like or think things like, I just wish, Pat, you were a different kind of Christian. A Christian who doesn't believe you have to believe in Jesus to have eternal life. A different kind of Christian, one who who doesn't believe in absolute truth, who doesn't believe there's such a thing as is right and wrong and that that's what's good for humanity and honoring to God. You get the idea. And those are the kind of folks who can make our lives really hard. And make us really sad. And really hurt us. And so what do we do? How do we cope with those kind of times? How do we remain steadfast, if you will? How do we remain resolute when things are hard? I, I, I want people who I care about, especially, to love me and affirm me and... I want them to love Christ, obviously, but I also want to have a good relationship with them. And sometimes it just doesn't happen. Sometimes it even leads to persecution of different kinds. And as you think about that just a little bit, the same thing would be true with with a local congregation like this one. As imperfect as we are, I'll, I'll lead that charge. We do believe that we have a perfect Savior, that the Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient to save that, that when he says, come to me, all of you who are burdened with sin and guilt, come to me and I will give you rest. Because of his perfect life of obedience, because of his perfect substitutionary death on the cross that made atonement for sin, his, his powerful resurrection, that he's ascended and is our great intercessor even right now. We believe this with great passion and conviction. We don't think we're perfect, but we do think he is perfect. And we, we, we're all about that. And some people appreciate Omaha Bible Church for those convictions. They're happy that we have those convictions. We share those convictions with, with them. And other people 
are not happy about those convictions that we have. In fact, they think that we're too extreme or unkind or, or not generous or unloving or something like that. And it's a rub. And so just like we as individuals have to decide what are we going to do? How are we going to remain resolute? How are we going to remain steadfast? The same is true with a local church like this local church. Are we going to? And, and if we think we're going to, how are we going to remain steadfast and resolute? These things are really important. They've been important ever since there have been Christians. And they're, they're so important that church history is, is riddled with, filled with churches that started out good, believing the truth of the gospel, uh, actually deserving the name Christian, if you will, or, or the name church. And they die. They become something else because they, they, they succumb to the pressure. They cave in. They capitulate. You get the idea. And the same thing is sadly true with many people who profess to be Christians. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look to the Bible for some guidance and some help, how we as individuals and how we as a church, regardless of whether or not people are happy we're Christians or happy we're a gospel preaching, promoting church, regardless of whether they're happy or not happy, how do we stick to the script, as I like to say? How do we stay on course? How do we stay on the track and keep running without running off of the track and being disqualified from the race? And where we're going to look this morning will be 2 Timothy chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, you can find 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, you might have a smartphone. And you could find a Bible on your smartphone or your tablet. And I'm going to be reading from the ESV. So if you want to follow what I'm following, the English Standard Version, it's online. There's an app. It's free. Um, Or you could follow along with any translation. Uh, There are different translations. If you're new to the Bible... Remember, originally it's in Hebrew, the Old Testament. Greek is in the New Testament. And so I could just have you turn to your Greek New Testaments, and then all of ours would be the same. And that wouldn't be very helpful if we weren't Greek scholars. So there are translations. They're different because they're trying to capture the nuance and make it understandable for the 21st century. Um, but don't believe the lie that says there are so many Bibles. Which one you, can you trust? That's a pretty lame dodge. Um, There are lots of good translations. I'm going to use the ESV, um, and hopefully you can follow along with me, even if you're going to use a different one. Here is our outline this morning for 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. So it's a particular section in the New Testament, and it deals with this matter of how do we stand fast, how do we remain steadfast or resolute, and the outline I'm going to follow this morning from 2 Timothy 3, 10 to 17 would be this, five reminders essential for steadfastness. Five reminders essential or vital for steadfastness. There are five apostolic reminders. And an apostle, an apostle is one who was commissioned by Jesus, who saw Jesus while he was on earth, the resurrected Jesus. There are eyewitnesses and there are special apostles. Apostle means one who carries authority, the authority of the one who sends them. And so Paul is an apostle of Jesus. And so he carries the authority of Christ, if you will. And here's what's happening in 2 Timothy. If you're just joining us, I'm going to remind the rest of you, and you're going to say, how many times are you going to say this? Every week, until we're done with 2 Timothy, and we're almost done. But here's what's going on. 
Paul is passing off the scene. The, the, the whole apostolic era is phasing out. Okay, Paul doesn't even have some of the abilities he used to have as an apostle by now. So there's this unique apostolic era, and it's passing, uh, it's passing away, and we're moving from what I'm going to say is an apostolic era to a pastoral era when it comes to leading the church. And so Paul is commissioning Timothy. This will be the last thing the Apostle Paul ever writes. He's aware that he's probably going to be executed because of the gospel by the Roman government. And so what he writes is important. Last letter. Second to the last chapter of the last letter. We're getting close to chapter 4. These are the kind of things that really have my attention. What is he going to say? And what he's going to say to Timothy, well, first of all, Timothy, based upon what we've learned, based upon what we've read, Timothy, as a pastor in Ephesus, a city in the ancient world, cosmopolitan, also religious, wealthy, high education level, Timothy is struggling. Therefore, we would conclude the church is struggling. Do we stick to the script or not? Apparently there are some people in Ephesus, maybe in the church by now too, who would like him to affirm a different, a different kind of Christianity. You know, the kind that doesn't think that Jesus is the perfect savior. Which isn't a different kind of Christianity, it's a different kind of religion, but you get the idea tongue in cheek. Could you maybe just kind of tone it down? Could you maybe just kind of say it's one way among many ways? Or who knows what the exact pressure is, but Paul has been saying things like, Timothy, fan into flame, right? Restoke the fire of your heart regarding the truth of the gospel and then pass that on to the church. He's been calling him. He's not been scolding him. It's not a tirade. It's not, he's not blasting him out of the water. Timothy's been a faithful pastor. The Ephesian congregation has been a faithful congregation, but there is this hesitancy, intimidation, pressure, and Paul knows it. And so he's helping, he's helping him and he's helping them. And I'm trying to have it help me as a pastor and our pastors and help us as a congregation to have it help us. I don't think we're in a bad spot, but we're always feeling the pressure because there are always individuals in our lives and there are always other sources in our lives that are wanting us to be different than sold out, committed, all in, crawl over broken glass Christians. The real deal. And so Paul's helping. And here in chapter 3, he's helping him to be so he can help them be more steadfast, more resolute, committed to the cause. So five reminders, if you will, so that we would be steadfast in life and in ministry, number one. Number one will be choose your mentors wisely. Choose your mentors wisely. Choose those who influence you wisely. I don't think the Apostle Paul said, choose your influencers wisely, but that's what we might say today. Who's influencing your life? Now, he's going to talk about when it comes to church and when it comes to the gospel and when it comes to Christ, but it's a truism regardless, right? We're all influenced by others. Sometimes we're influenced for good. Sometimes we're influenced for bad. Sometimes we think we're being influenced for good and it ends up not being good. Well, when it comes to spiritual things, he's calling him to be careful about who he allows to be influencing him, mentoring him, 
Here we go. Second Timothy chapter three, verse one. You, however, in contrast, remember earlier, if you were here last week, if you weren't, I'll remind you, he was talking about those who once said they were Christians and they started believing things other than the Christian gospel. And, and, and he's saying, but you, unlike them in context, you, however, Unlike others, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, faith in Christ, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. That's where I got that idea for our outline. My persecutions and sufferings. So you see what he's getting at. He's reminding Timothy. He's reminding him of something significant. He's saying, you know, all along you've been in, you've been listening to me. It could sound arrogant. I don't think it actually is arrogant. I'll talk about that in a moment. You, you've been listening to me. You've been paying attention to me. And you know what I believe. I've been absolutely clear about what I believe the gospel to be. You followed my faith. And not only have you followed what I believe and how I believe the gospel of salvation in Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, you followed that. But you've also followed me as you've seen how it's influenced my life. You, you, you've seen how it's transformed me. And, and I'm not the same person as I used to be. You, you've seen that I'm the real thing for the long haul. Over a long course of time, you've heard the same things from me about Jesus. And you've seen my commitments to the same things about Jesus. And you've seen its influence on my life. And you've seen uh, the, the changes in my life even. But you, unlike the false teachers who once said they affirm it and now they don't affirm it, you know what? They're not good influencers, Timothy. And, and we, we understand how this works. Who are you going to choose to influence you spiritually? Who do you watch? Who do you listen to? Who do you read? Those who are committed to the faith, the sound doctrine, he called it earlier, which would be the healthy teaching regarding Jesus. Maybe just to put it another way, in other words, he's saying, Timothy, you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that I've stuck to the script. And you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I've not been living in utter hypocrisy. You've seen, you've seen my life. So are you really going to succumb to the pressure to listen to the other guys? It doesn't even make sense. That doesn't make sense at all. Don't listen to the gospel sellouts of chapter 3 verses 1 to 9 and collapse under the pressure. That would be crazy. Now, surely, certainly and surely put together is surly? I don't know. (laughs) This morning I was trying to greet people and I couldn't get my words out right and I wanted to say, hello, you all. And and I said, hello, gall. (laughs) Sorry. wasn't very nice. Somebody thinks it's funny. I like that. (laughs) The apostle Paul is not, you know, doing the stick to chest out. Look at me because I'm awesome and I'm great and I've arrived and you know, I'm the guy. In first Timothy chapter one, verse 15, he made it clear that he calls himself the chief of sinners. So he's not saying, 
I'm it. But he is saying, I have been, by the grace of God, committed to him. By way of contrast. And Timothy, by way of contrast, you have known it. And so don't forget it. Don't forget it. And then something wonderful is said about the faithfulness of God that drives this, that undergirds it. If you look with me at verse 11, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, that's also saying something about Paul. It was tested. It showed that he wasn't in it for the fame. It showed it wasn't, he wasn't in it for the fortune. He actually was still committed to the same gospel and promoting it and protecting it, even when it cost him greatly. So he was not a faker. But let's keep going. Which persecution, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. And I really appreciate that because here he's giving evidence of his confidence in the Lord. It's his confidence in the sovereignty of God. By the grace of God who called me to faith in Christ as, as an apostle, I've been all in absolutely, no matter what, come heaven or high water. And it was all because it's true, but all because I, I, I trust in the sovereignty of God. It's good to see how those things work together. And the Lord delivered me from all of them. Which is interesting too, because the Lord isn't going to deliver him from this imprisonment. It's going to cost him his life. So if there were a third Timothy, he wouldn't say, you know, he delivered me all those other times and then he failed me in the end. He, he, he knows what's coming. But, but he is acknowledging the fact that he's been all in because it's true. He's seen the resurrected Jesus. So don't listen to people who tell you things that aren't true about Jesus. All in so he's legitimate. But also, what a great way to go. Confidence in the Lord's perfect timing. So far it's been temporal deliverance. But what we've already, things we've already learned from the Apostle Paul, it will be ultimate deliverance, even post-Mamertine prison in Rome, post-execution. For I know in whom I have believed that he is able, you get the idea, Romans chapter 8, resurrection. You say, what does this have to do with much in my life? Thanks for the history lesson, Pastor. The pressure was real. The pressure's real. The pressure's real. I want mentors in my life. I want apostolic mentors in my life. But I want other kind of mentors in my life who are committed to the gospel. And they're committed to the gospel and its effects in their life. And they're in it for the long haul, no matter what anybody says about them or to them. Even when people don't like them. Hopefully not because they're not unlikable but because sometimes it leads to conflict when you believe the truth about Jesus. I want those kind of mentors. I want those kind of leaders. Not people who are in it for the fame and fortune and the glam and the whatever else it might be, 
But when the pressure comes or when the cameras are still rolling or when the recording is still on, they're two-faced and they're actually in it for themselves. Significant. Maybe before we move on, I mean, when you think about what you look for in a mentor, what you look for in a leader, he, he does emphasize in verse 10, his teaching. So I, I want to know what somebody I trust and follow and look up to teaches about Christ. Uh, their conduct also in verse 10. So how do they live? We know it's not sinless perfection because even Paul says chief of sinners, but still it has an effect on your life for good. There are evidences, there's fruit. So what do they teach? How do they live? Uh, also in verse 10, he talks about resolve or purpose, their focus. And, and here with this example, it's focus, purpose, resolve on being faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. So what do they believe? How do they live? What, 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 what are they sold out to? What are they committed to, resolved to? He talks about faith in verse 10. What do they believe? What do they believe when they're alone? <laughs> what do they believe about Jesus? What do they believe about what he's done and, and who he is? What do they really believe? Are they, are they willing to take it on the chin for what they believe or worse? Verse 10 also talks about patience and love. Are they patient even with people who do them wrong? Do they love other people enough to tell them the truth even when they're hostile toward them? Do they love God and love neighbor? Is there evidence, therefore, also this is overlap of the gospel working in their life because they have a new kind of love now that they didn't have before? Verse 11, their steadfastness in suffering and persecution. I think that's a pretty helpful way, way to find a pretty good list. Who do I want to influence my life? Well, Jesus is the answer to just about every question. Uh, obviously, um, I want apostolic influence that comes to us written down in Scripture. But there are other people I want to teach me and be in my life and guide me and lead me and it's a pretty good list I'm thankful for that list second reminder let's do the next one for steadfastness in life and ministry so for us as individuals and for us as a church number two something you need to be reminded of and that is persecution is a guarantee persecution is a guarantee it's a it's a Christian truism it's a Christian axiom uh, and I know it doesn't sound very exciting and good at first. Isn't it great to believe in Jesus? You are going to be persecuted. Sounds so weird, right? The gospel's good news. That's not good news. But the good news obviously is the best news. But you need to know that in the here and now, some people in your life are going to think that's awesome. And some people in your life are going to wish it wasn't even true. And it might even be more escalated than that when it comes to hostility. But isn't it good that the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy ahead of time, you can expect persecution. How about, how about that in verse... I wrote over the verse. What's the next verse? Verse 12 or verse 13? 12, okay. 
It's a problem with writing notes all over the place. Verse 12, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And appropriately, I did underline all and will be. So this isn't just for the apostles. This is for Christians. It's not just for pastors. So all who have a desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, to to, to be a Christian and to live the Christian life, will be persecuted. Christians need to know that. I think non-Christians need to know that before they pray the prayer. Jesus often talked about such things. It's good to know this. Why is it good to know this? So that when the hostility comes, you won't think something's wrong with the gospel. You won't think something's wrong with Jesus. There's something wrong with all of us, but that's an aside. You won't think there's something wrong with you. In the strictest sense. Because you know you are going to take your lumps. In one way or another, it's a Bible promise. And oftentimes Christians don't know this. They hear people say, if you're a Christian, your life is going to be better. Your life might be worse. Ultimately, it's better because your biggest problem has been solved. But it actually might lead to all kinds of other problems you didn't have before. And so it's just good to know this. When you become a Christian, it doesn't mean your life is going to be better. It doesn't mean you're somehow going to be wealthy. It doesn't somehow mean you're going to... All these positive things. The greatest thing ever is God doesn't hold your trespasses against you. You're free. You That matters for this life and in the next life. It does influence everything. But you've got to know... uh, Newsflash. (laughs) It's a cross. So if we looked ahead and heard from Jesus in John chapter 15, you don't need to go there, but I will most certainly read it. John 15 verse 18 says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world will love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So I guess it makes sense. It it, it doesn't make sense, actually. It doesn't make sense that people don't trust in Christ. It doesn't make sense that they're mad at you, that you've been forgiven of your sins, and now you have a right relationship with God. It doesn't make sense that, that everybody's not thrilled. But because of sin and its effects and its perversity, it's why he says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted And Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. In that sense, it makes sense. I want you to know. So you don't quit. I want us to know as a church. So when pressure comes, not because we're doing the wrong thing, and plenty of churches do the wrong things, and we're not above doing the wrong things. So don't get me wrong. But when you're doing the right thing and the pressure comes, I want you to remember this. I want to remember this. I want us to remember this because we need to be resolved and and resolute and steadfast. It prepares us. Rumor has it that there's a football game today. So, (laughs) right? So, I mean, just by way of illustration... Coaches are going to prepare their players by saying, you know, it's all going to be awesome. It's going to be wonderful. 
And everybody's rooting for you. And the other team's going to be on your side too. (laughs) Duh. Right? They've been practicing and taking hits and going through all kinds of extreme things that have to do with conflict. Because it's coming. And it's part of the deal. Okay? The other team and its fans, maybe more the fans, they want to kill you. Now, it's not a perfect illustration. (laughs) Okay? But as they're prepared to hopefully not quit, say, that guy hit me, I'm going home. You know? (laughs) I quit. As a Christian, guaranteed persecution. And I'm not asking for more of it. I don't want any part of it. But there's a certain sense that we have to say, what did you expect? Based upon what Jesus says. So hopefully today's training for it, if you will. Thinking ahead like, oh, okay, if we're opposed, it doesn't mean then let's somehow become another kind of Christian that's not actually even a Christian. That doesn't even make any sense. Doesn't make any sense at all. Second Timothy chapter one, verse eight, Paul already was hinting at this share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor his prisoner. He's already been talking about it. There's a price. He's got to know it. All right, let's move on to the next one. A third reminder for steadfastness in life and ministry. Number three, and that would be degeneration. To make up a word, that's not actually made up a word, but it's not one I use very often, will progress. Degeneration will progress. In other words, Pastor Timothy, church at Ephesus, just know things are going to get worse. Don't expect things to get better. In this life, we might love progressive sanctification, but maybe it's sometimes through the means of progressive degeneration. Here's why. Look at verse 13. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse. That's where I got the idea of degeneration. They'll go from bad to worse. He's been talking about those people who are pressuring the church, pressuring the church members, pressuring the pastor. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. The word for imposter there could be translated cheat or swindler. The idea is somebody who's faking, oftentimes people who are doing what they do for the fame or the money. And think of it in a churchly, religious kind of context. People trying to sneak in and pervert and corrupt Christianity and the gospel. They're imposters. People who appear to be something that they're not. And he's saying, Timothy... It's just going to get worse. From worse to worser, to use bad grammar. It's fascinating. He says, deceiving and being deceived. That's kind of a common question throughout the years. People have said, so do you think those guys know what they're doing? 
I think yes and no. No and yes. Do you think that person who keeps begging people for money, who keeps doing fake miracles that we know are fake because they don't look like the miracles done in the Bible, do you think they know? Yes? No? Don't know for sure, but he does say they're deceiving and they're being deceived. Maybe that's, I'm just speculating here. I'm not saying chapter and verse. Maybe it's part of God just giving them over to the ridiculousness of their own mind and flesh. It really is amazing what people believe. But it's also amazing what people promote in the name of Christianity. And they're just hucksters. I'm just so burdened that Christians believe them. Mike, you've got to be... What? It's interesting here that false teachers are characterized by being deceivers. I want to be so far from that. I want you to be so far from that. They're also characterized by being deceived. I want to be so far from deceived and I want you to be so far from deceived. But when we see it, it should outrage us. It should frustrate us. Sometimes it makes me want to stop being a pastor, as I mentioned last week, because I don't want anybody to think I'm like them. But I want to be with Timothy and Paul, hearing Paul saying, keep going, keep doing it. They're deceived and they're deceiving. Maybe it's all the more reason in one sense to stoke the flame and defend the flame and say, you know what? Hold on a second. Good news is good news. We're going to proclaim the good news no matter what. Even if somehow, sometimes we get persecuted because of them, which that kind of stuff has happened throughout church history because everybody thinks we're like them and we're not like them, but we say we're Christians. And so they actually get us into more trouble, which makes me like them even less. We learned last week, and I think I skipped the verse, so maybe we didn't learn it last week, but they eventually get exposed. Verse 9 does say, if we go back up to that, but they will not get very far. Kind of sounds like they get pretty far. But eventually they don't get very far, for their, their, their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those men. Eventually, truth comes out. I just wish people would learn from the past and stop following these guys. Okay, let's move on. Number four and number five. Number four, the fourth reminder for steadfastness in life and ministry, and that would be continuance or continuing. Continuance is expected. Continuance is expected. In other words, Timothy, quitting isn't an option. And make sure you communicate that to the church you're pastoring. And I would want to do the same. Even though it gets hard, even though people mistake us for them, even though there's pressure and opposition, you you got to keep going. Okay, how about what it says in verse 14? But as for you, another contrast like we saw earlier, but as for you, unlike others... 
But as for you, continue. There's the continuance. Continue. Keep going. Don't stop. Continue in what you have learned. And what he's learned is the gospel, as we're going to see. So you continue with the gospel, the truth about Christ, what he's done. Continue with what you've learned and have firmly believed. You firmly believe the gospel. I know he's going he's gonna to get to this in just a second. I know this about you, Timothy. I know you've believed the truth about Jesus for a long time because of apostolic testimony, because of the testimony of your family, because of the Bible. He's even going to get to that because you've seen it, it transform so many people's lives. You keep going because of what you've learned and because of what you have firmly believed. I like the way he's also encouraging Timothy, I think, uh, in a more subjective kind of way. Timothy, I know this is true about you. There's been a track record in your life of the Spirit of God's work. You have firmly believed this. Keep going. Keep going. And then it says, knowing from whom you learned it. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But at the time, at the, at the, at this moment in time, just know he's strongly saying, you got to keep going. You got to keep going. You got to keep going. Faithful gospel witness in your city. Faithful gospel witness in your town. You are a Christian. You've shown yourself to be a Christian because of your trusting in Christ and all along, all throughout, all kinds of ups and downs and years and years, you've been trusting in Christ. So you stick to the script, Timothy. Just ever so quickly, I'll just reference 2 John chapter 9 and 1 John chapter 2 verse 24. Jot them down if you'd like. 2 John 9 says, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Similar kind of contrast. Timothy, unlike those guys who don't continue, those guys who don't abide, you abide. Oh, and guess what? And if you abide, you're the real deal. But just know this, if you don't abide, in Second John, that's the issue, you're, you, you're not on the team. So let's be clear when people would so wish you were a different kind of Christian. There isn't a different kind of Christian. Now, true Christians can disagree on lots of things. This room is evidence of that. But what true Christians don't disagree over is who Jesus is and what he's accomplished and what it takes, if you will, to have what he's done be personal for you. It's why, by way of shorthand, so many times Christians throughout the centuries have said, we believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of the finished work of Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, because of the ultimate authority and inspired revelation of Scripture alone. And all Christians have been able to say, we can get behind that motto. Those slogans are our slogans. But if you don't abide by the reality behind the slogans, if you will, just know that you're not actually a different kind of Christian. First John chapter 2, verse 24 talks about the same kind of reality. I won't read it for the sake of time. But just know here, he is saying, you continue, you continue, you continue. And then let's go back to that cool little statement in verse 14. Knowing from whom you learned it. Please hear this. Please don't check out on this. This is actually really important. Knowing from whom you learned it. Two options, and I think both are true. 
The first place Timothy has learned the gospel is from his grandmother and his mother. You know what old granny taught you. <laughs> you, you other sane people. And, and you know, I, this is me just making things up. Maybe for a while as a teenager you didn't think so. But Timothy, you're an adult now. Okay? And, and guess what? You learned this from your grandmother. And he, he obviously thinks he respects his grandmother. And not only that, you learned it from your mother. And he's appealing to credible sources. Apparently they were godly individuals who didn't live perfect lives because no one other than Jesus has, but their lives made sense. And they weren't crazy. This isn't a new kind of thing. Second Timothy 1.5, I remind you of your sincere faith. He's saying the same things. A faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure, for lots of reasons, dwells in you as well. So when he says, Timothy, continue. And let me remind you where you learned the gospel. You learned it from your grandma and you learned it from your mom. So there's where it comes from. Also remember who you learned this from. You also learned it, if I'm the Apostle Paul speaking, from me. And that's actually really important as well. Because he's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, chapter 1, verse 1. And an apostle, to be an apostle, you have to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. So he can claim to speak for him with his authority. That's true, but he actually is a historic eyewitness. Christians aren't talking about faith in faith or faith in phantoms. We're talking about faith in the historic person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's not telling Timothy, you know, keep going because what you believe is based on nothing or a phantom or fiction or... No, remember who you learned the gospel from. Credible sources. Even apostles like me. And if you point back to Paul again, excuse me again, I would I'd like to just remind you, Paul's life didn't get better because, because he became an apostle. It got a lot worse. I think even that's implicit here. Remember what you've seen happen in my life. You know I'm not in it for the money. Or whatever else. Hold the gospel line, Timothy. Keep going. He said in chapter 1, verse 13, follow the pattern. Chapter 2, verse 2, and he's also going to pass it on and trust it to others. And then for a little bit more motivation, he says, how about this in verse 15, Before, as we wrap this up? Verse 15, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the Bible. Oh, for him, that's the Old Testament. So you just remember, Timothy, when you grew up because of your grandmother and mother, you're learning the Old Testament. You have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Messiah Jesus, through faith in Christ Jesus, in the Old Testament. So even be encouraged by that, Timothy. You came to these conclusions because of what you read in the Bible. You came to these conclusions about Jesus who grew up in Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, 
Because the Old Testament is anticipating just such a one. That's why. That's why. And here's what he's going to do next. And we're going to save it for next time. Then the final call to be resolved and resolute and standing firm will be to continue to, to continue to trust the scriptures, to continue to trust the Bible for how to do gospel ministry, how to promote and protect the gospel, how to do gospel church ministry. You learn the gospel from the Bible, led to your salvation. Keep doing life and Christian ministry based upon what the Bible says, because to do otherwise would be crazy. It wouldn't even make any sense. And the reason that's so important is because there's this pressure There's this pressure to do Christian ministry in ways that don't align with Scripture. There's this pressure to promote a gospel that doesn't align with the gospel of Scripture. And so this last point that we'll get to next week, and we'll focus on the Scripture, Timothy, don't cave into the pressure to do ministry in an unbiblical way. Don't succumb to the pressure to somehow figure out how to help people with their religious needs in ways other than from what the Bible has to say about their religious needs. It doesn't make any sense, Timothy. You were converted by reading the, God, the, the Bible from the Old Testament, so stick to the Bible from the old, and now it's going to be the new, in helping people in Ephesus. Don't change now. Don't change now. And that will be really good for us as we feel the pressure to change. And you say, how do we learn the gospel to begin with? from the Bible. So then why are we going to go for something different? It doesn't make any sense. I could ask you, how did you become a Christian? And there'd be all kinds of different answers and nuances. And I heard the gospel in this book. A friend told me the gospel. Um, I grew up hearing the gospel. But everyone in this room who is a Christian is a Christian because they heard the truth about who Jesus is and what he's done. And maybe it was written down in a book outside of the Bible, but it was the gospel from the Bible that was written down in that book. So why would you want to change it to help Omaha? Why would you want to change it to help your kids? Why would you want to change it to help the world? doesn't make any sense. Hope you're encouraged. I'm encouraged. Next week, we're going to talk about the sufficiency of the scripture to bring salvation and equip us in gospel ministry. I can hardly wait. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for time together. Thank you for a great relevant book like Second Timothy to help us because we're tempted. We're afraid sometimes. We want to somehow be accepted by everyone. Help us to know that it simply can't be true. It won't ever be true. But we do want to be accepted ultimately by the Lord Jesus Christ, who is mighty to save. And we want to be good heralds, faithful heralds, faithful gospel proclaimers to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.